Hi, welcome to the Arnithology Presents the Cruisecast. I'm Ben Hyten. And I'm Alex Bellardi. And join us for Born on the Fourth of July from 1989, an Oliver Stone film. Bot Fudge, that's what it stands for. As no one calls it ever. I'm now starting it. Yeah, I don't, I don't it's think the, it's going to catch if on. We, if you ever hear anybody saying Bot Fudge, then you know what they're talking about. I got some butt fudge for you right here, buddy. You always do. That's why you're my friend. This is the middle film in Oliver Stone's Vietnam trilogy. I did not know that. Started with Platoon, which is very good. Right. And ended with Heaven and Earth, which is not very good. And this is And this in is in between. Middle. So had you seen this before? I have not seen this film before. Okay, you've seen Platoon though, right? Yes, I have seen Platoon. Okay. Uh, this is a true story about Ronkovic, who is from the most small-town America, America, I think, that's ever been put on film. Massapequa, which I believe is in upstate New York. He's young and idealistic, and he wants to take on communism, so he goes to Vietnam, where a lot of bad shit happens in a very short amount of time, ending with him losing the function of his legs after a bullet to the spine. Yeah. This is, you know, in the late 60s, so the film is, is showing you that the provision for disabled people at the time was not great, and the film is the journey of Ron Kovic changing his mind about the Vietnam War, basically, and finding purpose true life in life. True story, right? It is a true story, yes. Uh, so this film is based on the book of the same title. By Ron by Kovic. Ron Kovic, yeah. I didn't really realise that actually until halfway through. Um, because it kind of has that structure of a TV movie. Uh, you know, I hate to say it, but that's kind of okay. how it feels. It doesn't feel like a normal film. The story in it, the threads in it are, okay, we're just we're just telling these events. That's what we're doing. Like, you get to about halfway through and you're like, this isn't a normal story. This is what happened. And I thought, oh, ha- I didn't realize it was based on a, well, first of all, based on a book, but secondly, based on a real real life situation um one man's accounting of that real life situation and you have to give him credit you know he didn't if it's it's a story about him he didn't make himself out to be the greatest guy quite the opposite i mean that was one of the things that really struck me because i i I saw this when it was probably first on television uh, and i i found it very hard to sit through but i'd completely forgotten a lot of the stuff that happens in vietnam And he does not show himself to be a hero at all. The exact opposite, in fact. And there's even a moment later on where a character kind of speaks to that. And he's clearly a Marine and or involved with the Marines, whether he was in Vietnam or not. Um, Not disabled. At a Cruiserverse moment when uh, Tom Cruise's character is in a pool hole. Pool hole? Probably a pool hole, actually. Pool hall. uh, After, um, you know, he's come back from the war and he's getting drunk and... He basically gets lambasted. I don't know if that's the word. Yeah. Accosted. Accosted is not even the word, but just attacked verbally by someone who's basically saying, quit your whining. Right. A Marine who's saying, quit your whining. Shit's happened to everyone. Thousands of people. Um, we don't, we don't need to listen to it. Basically. He's not nice about it, but I kind of take his point because up until that moment, we, we heard a lot of whining and that, th- that character to me spoke about not just how much the Tom Cruise character or the Ronkovich character is not a hero, the exact opposite. He's also really not dealing with it well at all. Not not that anyone should, right? I'm not saying anything at all 
we want to be really careful here that there's a way to deal with this stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. This stuff is huge. It's ridiculously insane. It can, you know, destroy your life and everyone around you's lives, which is sort of what's happening. You know, it's kind of the the one of the um, pitfalls of doing a biography. I think that stuff that you're talking about, like in the Paul Hall, that really only works if you know where Ron Kovic ends up. If you if you know that he's gonna turn yeah, around because no you realise the significance of that moment because he's gonna take that forward and he's gonna go actually yeah I should be trying to create something positive out of this shitty situation because that's <laughs> yeah, that's really it, what the it film... takes him a couple of years it takes him a couple of years of yeah, ab- going of deeper into a hole I'm surprised that it didn't take longer I mean I think if yeah it right if right. it weren't for the crucible of of the time and place yeah um, yeah I think some people would would never find something positive people didn't still yeah but I think that's that is what it is that the film is is about ultimately him taking his frustration and anger and instead of taking it out on everyone around him taking it out on the people who sold him on a lie yeah and that's a classic sort of anti-war sort of thing yeah and now uh, it has to be said before we go any further. Obviously, Ron Kovic is a real person. Uh, Oliver Stone also um, is a real person. He is a real person. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he also served in Vietnam, which is why uh, uh, there's a verisimilitude to Platoon and the sequence in this. I think the Vietnam sequence in this is incredible. You called these films a trilogy. They weren't necessarily set up that way. There's no kind of continu- continuity other than no, no. It's a thematic trilogy. There's yeah, no fine real characters there's the, the continuity that is that it's the vietnam war and oliver stone yeah yeah that's the continuity and i don't know the backdrop of of that era that time so what did you think of it as as a right, film what right did you okay think so i'll it? tell you i mean i've been holding on to it really really struggle man yeah. to first of all to to think anything of it actually that's concrete and we're saying that was my first like i don't know what's happening here unfortunately and i don't want to be here because there's a lot of promise in this film, and especially with the subject matter it's dealing with. It's important. So I don't want my analysis to take away from my feeling about the important time. It's super important time. I have to lean on the side of it's not a good film. And okay. my reasoning for that is not because I didn't like seeing it, actually. It was, it was okay. Um, I won't be watching it again. But I think part of the reason why I really struggle with it is to do with this note I wrote. It's hell. The whole thing is hell. And I cannot figure out if I want to laugh at it, because I noticed I started wanting to laugh at bits of it, at how ridiculous it was. I was even finding myself criticising the acting, criticising the hair. The hair, man. Criticising the hair! The hair. Criticising the decade. Yeah, but no, it was just the makeup. It was... The mustaches are pretty bad. <laughs> They're really bad. Yeah. They're really bad. I can grow a better mustache in two or three weeks. But, you know, not every actor wants to grow a mustache. But they're obviously fake. That's the problem. And anything that's obviously fake in yeah. a film that's supposed to be sincere and genuine doesn't doesn't work for me. It takes me out of it. So that's one reason why I wanted to laugh. But I couldn't really figure out if I also wanted to laugh because it was so horrible. It was just so horrible in some moments. I didn't want to take it in. And I think that I'm going to, so I want to take my own opinion with a pinch of salt to say, I think that was happening for me on this watch. Like I couldn't fully take it in because it just, it just felt so horrible. I didn't want to feel as bad as the movie was trying to make me feel. Um, And quite rightly, it should be trying to make me 
feel that way. So I, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think a movie's good because it can make you feel like shit. I don't think that makes a good movie. And there are lots of people who say, "Oh no, it's great. It's really important." I, I don't fall on that worthy side of analysis, and it's a worthy subject matter. But just because it's worthy subject matter, and I feel like shit watching it, that doesn't make me say it's a good film. Does that make no, sense? It's- but I think by the same token, the fact that there's a lot of ugliness in this film, there's a lot of uh, pain, you know, internal and physical, doesn't necessarily make it a bad film either. And I think it's a very, Agreed. I think Agreed. it's a very well-made film. There is craft, yeah, but for it, sure. It is not enjoyable for for the most no, part. Uh, this is not a fun movie. You're watching no. a character <laughs> I, I completely fall apart. Yeah, um, and be not pleasant himself. At, it's an onslaught. Well. It's an onslaught. And and the, but the thing is, then just in just in terms of story, the reason why I lean on the side. I'm not saying it's bad. Okay, I'm just saying I'm I'm leaning on the side of it's not a good film because I don't think the story is well told. I don't like the structure. The elements are important to tell. I don't know how else I would do it. Okay, I'm not claiming to know that I would know any better. There's just something about it that just, it stopped feeling like a story at a certain point. It just felt like, I don't know, it could have been a TV series. I, I don't know. It just felt like there are these big moments that, that you're just jumping around in the yeah. story. And I don't know what, I'm, I'm not following anything. There is l- very little let up. And again, maybe that's how it should feel. It's Oliver Stone, right? It's, there's something about Oliver Stone's filmmaking that I enjoy, but the the relentlessness of this, I couldn't get on board with it. I don't think that means it's a bad film. I just no, no, you didn't enjoy it. You no, know, storytelling's off. That's all. I'm. That's my major gripe with it. I think pacing is right. I think it's not a short film, but it feels an hour longer than it is. Yeah, that's right. That's certainly true. And you can make a three-hour movie feel very short. The Godfather is yeah. a brilliant example of that. Yeah. What? So you said you'd like Oliver Stone uh, in large part. You like his movies. What? Which ones of his? Because I would say I really would only pick out two films of his that I really, really like. But I really like them. And that's JFK and Natural Born Killers. I think those two. Films are... <laughs> those are the two. I mean, I don't think I like Platoon either, right? It's fine. It's not one of my favourites, though. No, I haven't seen Snowden yet, so I can't comment on that. Yeah, I never seen Wall Street. Yeah, Wall Street's okay. I saw World Trade Center, and I could have missed it so easily. I just nothing. One of the harshest reviews I've ever heard was. Oliver Stone's film of World Trade Center was worse than the event itself. <laughs> that is so harsh. <laughs> That's so harsh. But you see, Oliver Stone's at his worst when he's conspiratorial, I think. Well, I think the thing about Oliver Stone is, and I think this film is a perfect example of it, especially the sequence before going to Vietnam, where he's setting up the home life of these characters, is he doesn't do subtlety. No, he wants no. to tell very complex stories yeah. in very broad strokes. It is complex, yeah. And when thing. he does it right, you get JFK. Yeah. And when he does it wrong, you get World Trade Center. Yeah, I, that's wrong of me to say he's at his worst when he's conspiratorial. JFK is... is you know, it's his masterpiece. In point. Yeah, yeah. I agree. It's an, um, it's an amazing film. It's fantastic. Um, so that's not fair. I tell of Stone's a, a good director. I think he's a good storyteller. I think he's got some fantastic ideas, but he's certainly one of those directors that people know, and he's made memorable movies. And he's all he's almost a parody of himself at times right. as well. But that's because of his personal beliefs, right? But he makes the films that that back up his critics. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yes, yeah. 
Who who we're gonna get to do a Snowden film? Oliver Stone. Yep, that's exactly who we got to do the Snowden film. Right. right. <laughs> I'd say that Born on the Fourth of July sits, you know, kind of in the middle of his filmography for me. It, it's it's a film that you can admire. It's a film that you can say, "Well done, hmm. you did that quite well." <laughs> well done. He did. I can hear Mark Larwood saying. Do you, are you guys like the advice givers of the film industry? Are you careers advisors? But it's not. It's it's not an enjoyable film. No. But, but what it does have, and I think it's it's the virtue and the problem of the film, is it does have those two fantastic sequences. One is the actual Vietnam sequence itself. It really does a good job of putting you in that character's mindset. Yeah. Using all of the tools at his disposal, especially the cinematography. Uh, and the final 20 minutes, which are the reason for the film's existence, I think. <laughs> yeah. When Ron finally takes all of that shit and piss and, and tries to turn it into something positive and actually goes back into battle, but it, of a completely different kind, the film suddenly lifts you up a little bit. Yeah. You know, after pushing you in the face. Yeah, kind of. Pushing your face in the dirt. But the thing you were saying about, I didn't know whether to laugh at it at times. There was, there was, there was one bit that was so ludicrous that I had to assume that it was supposed to be funny. Sound ye oldie spoiler klaxon. And that was Tom Cruise and Willem Dafoe in the desert. Yeah. Uh, two. Fuck you. Fuck you. No, yeah, yeah. fuck you. Well, <laughs> it's, it's really interesting you went there because I'm not mocking Vietnam vets. Yeah. But I think that this scene between them is what led to a lot of parody about Vietnam vets. If surely the cliche Vietnam vet who says, you don't, you weren't there, man. You yeah, don't know. This, exactly. This is that scene, right? Is that not what? Yeah. You never killed any babies. Yeah, you never killed any babies. What a weird thing to challenge someone with. Yeah, right. But what a weird thing to do, right? You know, so I'm not surprised it then comes out in weird ways. They're they're obviously not dealing with it very well. And they're the only people they can talk to about it. And they're not very good people to talk to about it. They're not helpful. But yeah, so there's that. And also the scene with um, Terry, his, his buddy who, after he does the rally, he does the 4th of July rally in Massapequa. Frank Wally, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank, Frank Wally. Whaley? I want to call him Whaley. Yeah, that scene with him. So after the rally, they come back, and he sat there with him. They're having beers. I just got the feeling in that scene. So you're saying the scene with him and Willem Dafoe in the desert was laughable. I just got the feeling in that scene that either this is being acted really badly or... There's something about that character that we're supposed to know about maybe from the book, which is that he didn't actually go to Vietnam. Did you not get that sense from that character that he was like, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, the hospital, right? That that was pretty bad. And and he was and he was like, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was bad. Yeah, yeah. It was almost like he was fishing for like, how do I be a Vietnam vet? Because well, I'm not really, I'm not really a Vietnam vet. Okay, I, I, to- I, I totally see where you're coming from. I took from it what Tom Cruise says later on, which is, I don't talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. But also, Frank Wally's experience was, he did a tour in Vietnam, he came back, you know, he saw some shit, but he's fine. His experience is nothing like his buddy Ron's, who... So he can't relate. Because that's, I mean, that whole sequence in the hospital after Vietnam, 
Yeah. It's like a horror film. I mean, it's really what horrible. What do you mean like? It is. It's horrible. It really yeah. is horrible. There's and, nothing like about it. And I think that's um, that's actually very powerful. And, and we talked about it with Rain Man, how you can yeah. see how far the conversation around autism has moved forward in the 30 mm. years since it came out. And I think you can see here how there there was just no... Dignity? Definitely. Care. No dignity, yeah. It was, it was like, you're no longer really a human being if you don't have your, all of your faculties. And, and we see that uh, now, you know, with, with the troops coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq with arms and legs blown off by IEDs mm. and things like that. There's still a big conversation to be had about what are we doing for these people who yeah. have given so much for a cause that not very yeah. many people believe in. And literally, it, it's... literally their lives, not, not even... Not even whether they die or not, it's their whole life is consumed by the event, right? And I suppose that's why ultimately the film isn't very uplifting because Ronkovic comes home at the end. He feels like he has a purpose and he feels like people see him as a human being again. But we're going through all of the... We've just had Vietnam too, basically, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, so, and, depressing. And worse, worse. Yeah, it is. So, and you know, I, and again, just because it's depressing, that doesn't make it a bad movie. Um, but I'm, I'm very willing to be challenged that, like, on the, my own discomfort is what's tainted my, yeah. my view of this film. Just before we get into talking about Tom Cruise himself. Yeah, yeah, you know I want to get there. To help him get into character, Tom Cruise did voluntarily spend a long time uh, in a wheelchair so that it would look natural when right. he moves. It's understandable. Yeah. But Oliver Stone wanted to give him that little extra push over the edge. Right. And um, actually paralyze him with a nerve agent for the period of shooting. No, 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 no. <laughs> Cruz was up for it. No. Yeah. Oh, my God. But the studio said, no. Uh, from yeah. an insurance point of view, I think we'd rather do some acting on this one. <laughs> I mean, how much... How You know, he's not moving his legs unconvincingly. Like, I mean... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We better paralyze him. Just, just sneak it, sneak it in his coffee, dear Drew. I mean, I, I, no. sneak it in his coffee. Just well, I don't no. care what the studio says. Just, yeah, right. You know, his his legs. I can see he wants to move them. That's it's things like that, right? It's not his his, his directorial talent that people want to criticize him for. It's shit like that. Uh, it's two crazy people. Yeah, having a conversation. And Cruz is like, I like the cut of your jibstone. Let's love, do this. I love that Cruz is up for it. Yeah. I, just, I love it. But it's 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 the same as jumping off of things. Should we yeah. say, just generally a staple is taking insane risks. Yeah. I mean, that's what jumping off of planes is, right? So given the knowledge <laughs> that you now know that he did have the use of his legs throughout filming. It ruined it for me now. It's yeah. Ruined. What did you make of his performance? Okay, this is hard because I don't know whether I want to say, and again, I know it's unfair to say it, he's all over the place. He is all over the place. And it's unfair to say that that's a criticism of his acting because the character is all over the place. Absolutely. And he's changing and changeable and he's going through some really important changes himself and some recognition and realizations. You do get a sense of continuity, though, that it's the same person. It's not a bad performance. I, I think there are some moments that are fantastic, but I, it's not consistent enough. I, I don't think he was amazing. I think it's one of those things where when you look at his first scene in the film and then look at his last scene in the film, 
you realize, wow, we really went on a journey with this guy. Yeah, right. Um, so in that sense, you have to say, uh, very good. I agree, though. He doesn't. I think what he needs is one or two standout moments, and I think that the couple of really emotional scenes that he has, like the bit where he's screaming at his mum, yeah, sticks out to me. Yeah, I wrote that. Didn't quite. It didn't move me. Do you know what I mean? Again, it was just unpleasant and upsetting. Yeah, he might as well have gone woo at the end of that scene. (laughs) But I mean, that's an interesting thing. Is that I actually so much energy. I didn't get any of his classics in this film. So I think. One. Before before One. we get into that, I think what that does show is that he's he's making a conscious decision to not fall back on tricks and ticks, and actually oh, yeah, say, no, yeah, I'm yeah. going to do this character justice, and I'm going to try and embody this real-life guy. And Ron Kovic himself was so moved by Cruiser's performance that he gave him his bronze star. Oh, that's amazing. That that's is amazing. amazing, isn't it? And that's what, actually, that's what counts more than anything. That's what I would have... I was going to lead on with saying I'd be interested to know what Mr. Kovic thinks because with films like this, that's really what matters. As long, yeah. you know, you, you're going to you're portraying someone else who's still alive, and that person and their family needs to feel like you've done justice to to the to the character to the person, um, and so that that's great. I'm I'm pleased for Mr. Cruz as well. Well, um, but it, it yeah. doesn't stop there because no. he landed his first lead actor Oscar nomination for this film. He didn't win. Oh, yeah, yeah. He doesn't deserve to win. But he got a nomination. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he did win a Golden Globe for Best Actor. Right. It doesn't surprise me. Listen, it's a it's a very good performance. But again, I'm, I am I just feel like this episode, my opinion is going to be tainted by how heavy the subject matter was. I, I, I'm completely on board with you. I did not like watching it. I can't say it's a fun movie. No. Um, and so I just... It's hard for me to go... Yeah, this is great. I'm so excited. I can't get excited about this film. I feel terrible yeah. having watched yeah. it, you know. It's not it's not good stuff. And I'm struggling also for us not to launch into some kind of political, you know, conversation about the whole thing. I'd rather not, you know, I don't think that's very important to this episode. I, I look I Th- think there isn't much to say. You wouldn't even need to say anything. Anyone who's listened to us knows we're both pretty liberal. It's been done to death though as well, the Vietnam thing. You know, that that's the other thing. And so I couldn't help myself but is this still relevant? Is this movie still relevant? And I don't think it is in the way that other war movies are. Because other war movies can, because of the stories they're telling and the way they're telling them, can still make comment on war today. Yes. Um, but because this is so focused on one character, I don't know that this movie does that very well. At the time that this film came out, it was um, really at the tail end of the cycle of America dealing with its feelings about Vietnam. You know, there were mm. dozens of these films in the mid to late 80s. But mm. by the time this had come out, yeah, we'd already had Platoon and Hamburger Hill and Full Metal Jacket and, you know, and on and on and Good on and on Vietnam, and on. Maybe? Yeah, yeah, all of those. Yeah, yeah, all of them. So this was really, like I say, at the tail end of it. But it's also right. telling such a specific story that yeah. it doesn't have that universal commentary, I don't think. So I'm not wrong in saying that people would have been saying, even though it's, it's, I'm glad this film was made. Do we really need another Vietnam War movie? Is that well? Do uh, do you think people would have been saying that even when this movie was made? Is what I'm asking. I think. Well, I think because it's different from all of the other ones. Yeah. It it does justify its existence through through that that story. But I think by the time he came to do Heaven and Earth, three or four years later, everyone was just going, "Really, Oliver? Move on. Come on." You said you got one cruise classic? Getting some. Of course. 
I'm so ashamed but, of myself. But he doesn't really, does he? It, the, the note I wrote next to it was, you should be ashamed, by the way. Yeah, I just you. don't want that to go off the radar. That's be it, Say you're ashamed and be ashamed. That's good now. You could admit I'm, I'm, it. I'm hanging my head. Yeah, okay. Good, good. Um, so he gets some, but afterwards I wrote, does he really? I because it occurred was... to me that he's a virgin. Yes, and I think that's why he's he's crying at, at the end of that scene. Apart from this tender experience he's just had, I think, yeah, what I got from that was the realisation that he'll never have a chance to... But also, he's a Catholic virgin who thinks that it's sinful. And some part of him thinks it's sinful. Although he's rejecting religion and everything before he goes to Mexico. Um, you were going to say something about that scene and pretty, pretty I, I... much... Well, I did I think, think that was one of the high points of the film, actually, because it, it was, was genuinely, yeah, it yeah. was genuinely very tender. It was very yeah. honest, I thought. Yeah. Um, and it had that kind of, we're not going to sugarcoat this. We're going to show this for what it is yeah, without it being grim. Um, no. And it was actually quite sexy. It was quite an erotic yeah, yeah. scene in its own way. It could have been horrible. After all the things that have happened, there could have been, it could have been a horrible way to try and experience, you know, closeness, tenderness with a woman, you know. He does have that experience, um, having, as far as I'm aware, not really had it up to this point. That's my understanding, um, yeah. In the film, I don't know in reality. Well, yeah. I have an anti-classic, though. Yeah, and I'm, I have to raise this by way of apology to Mr. Cruz. Right. An anti-classic. He has a good kiss in this film. Yes, at the prom when he kisses Kyra Sedgwick. I was I, I wrote that down as a good kiss. Well done. Yeah. Because I'm I was gonna say like I was gonna get you if you said that, that was that was also an uncomfortable kiss, I'd been like, Man, you got some kissing issues. No, and I think that proves yeah. my point that you can put kissing on film and it not be gross. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't and now gross. and now Tom Cruise managed it. Well done. I actually thought that was a really romantic thing as well him running it's classic thing running in the rain to the prom yeah. you know yeah, yeah. i'm shipping out tomorrow i need my dance what's interesting though about the structure of the movie is that in the first half an hour we're in vietnam and i'm like well we got there actually quite quickly but it's felt long because i'm like okay we get it i get it he's he's a kid he's being told the sun shines out of his ass he's the best he's going to be the best at everything and then he fails in a wrestling match and yeah. it's his first sort of real failure but even when he was a little kid playing war mm. in yeah i guess that's what he's playing he's getting shot by you know a, a whole group of guys they really get him like eh, you're dead you're dead and they're shouting run he's dead and he's he's lying on the floor going no i'm not no i'm not no i'm not yeah so we already we either hear a denial and or a tenacity whichever way you want to look at it so it's I'm great, I won't die, psychologically speaking, but also a tenacity that says, I, I'm not giving up. Yeah, so that's important both to his character, but also, again, the, what I do like about this is how that was dealt with really honestly again. I mean, my hat got, goes off to Ron Kovic more than anyone else to say he told his story super honestly. Or honestly enough in the book that the dire a director of a movie could then say, well, we're going to take that and make it into this story. And I, I suspect it works much better as a book. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, because it, because sure. it's so much about his voice, I would have thought. Yeah, right. And watching that through the filter of someone, even a great actor and a great director, you always have a sense of detachment, I think. You know, yeah, well, I, I think to. so. I think so. And, and then, again, especially knowing that it's a movie of 
a guy. Again, I want to say that this, the evolution of the character, I mean, it's a cliche for a reason. You know, the guy thought he was a hero and thought he was going to go and do something and he didn't. He didn't. And he, but then he did. His war was won, basically, when once he came back home. And it wasn't just about fighting for the war, but it was about finding understanding. All that bigging up, basically, that he got in his childhood, all that saying, you're amazing, you're wonderful, wasn't about him. It was about his family. It was about what yeah. what values were right and how amazing he was going to be. And what about the, I don't know, five, six other kids in the family that, like, were just in his shadow. He was the oldest and he was supposed to go and do great things. Mm. Nobody went to visit him in the hospital. If they did, it's not in the film. And I think I think that's the point of the Frank Wally scene that you were pulling out. Is right, right. He's dealing with that guilt in, and Tom Cruise is dealing with a, a whole different set of guilt. Yeah, he, he kind of doesn't give a shit. He, I think, guess he gets it, whatever. But there's a few lines which is like, which makes the point I'm making, which is he's had this childhood. He let everyone down, including himself, including his own aspirations. He doesn't know who he is. He's crying and he's saying, who's going to love me now after that scene? Yeah, that was good. That yeah. was one of my favorite Cruise moments was so the, the way he did that scene. The thing, I mean, I think we both watched this today, right? Yeah. So it's still fresh. And really, yeah. Even over the course of this discussion now, I'm realizing that there are um, so many moments in this film, actually, that are suddenly popping out at me as being actually quite impressive and quite. And that's the Cruise magic <laughs> right there no seriously man this is why throughout our whole discussions we've ever had fans writing in saying yeah you know what i didn't really like cruise but now i do because they're watching or reconsidering his films and so getting getting letters like that from people and also our own journey watching cruise it's like you kind of think he should be shit but he really isn't he's really quite fantastic and the reason why i say it's the cruise magic is because it's like like, I don't know. It's, it's almost like he's acting. I don't know if I could say Acting it. without acting? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Jason Alexander. Acting Having without said acting. that. Yeah, acting without acting. But it's. I don't think it's just him. I think it's Oliver Stone as well. Because yeah. the scene I yeah, was thinking of was when he goes to see Private Wilson's family. Right. And he basically confesses that he killed their son. It was a friendly fire incident. We haven't said that. And there's no ambiguity about it at all from our point of view. Like, he shot him mistakenly, but he did shoot and kill one of his own men. The balls that it takes to actually go and say that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's quite phenomenal. Yeah, but he's got nothing left. That's the other thing. He has sure, to. Sure, sure. And that's his, that's his breaking point. He, yes, yeah. the demon that he has to exercise. Absolutely, right? right? Yeah. But, you see, what I'm saying is that what I'm realizing now is that I think that that sort of negative taste that the film gave us and the, and the endurance that we had to go through watching this film I think maybe that's kind of the point actually is that you have to go through this with him and then it's only after the fact that you realise there was strength and there was positivity and there were these shining moments in, in amongst all the shit because that's sort of the feeling that I'm getting now and it has to be said because we haven't really mentioned this almost every speaking part in this film is populated by fantastic actors. I mean, some of them are, are, are one-minute, one-scene bits. Tom Berenger is the Dude, recruiting officer let's do at the this, beginning. Man. This is notable appearances throughout. I mean, like, there are, I have to say, amazing. I know we, we were having a bit of a, a joke about the scene in the desert earlier, yeah. but I think Willem Dafoe is fantastic in this Yeah, film. man. 
yeah, great. He's really, he's great. really great. Yeah. You know, he's a highlight for me. Just yeah. seeing him. Like, Absolutely. Like, okay, so confession time. Uh, I had no idea that this was uh, an Oliver Stone movie. Okay. I, I didn't know. I knew until, the other until ones. Until this conversation. No. <laughs> until, <laughs> yeah, I didn't read the credits. No, no, until the credits. I was like, yeah. okay. oh, shit, it's an Oliver Stone movie. And I was like, okay. That didn't change my opinion or anything. I just thought, all right, okay, there's potential. And then seeing Willem Dafoe, uh, um, uh, Tom Berenger, Stephen Baldwin, man. Not just Stephen Baldwin. Three Baldwin brothers in Three this film. Three Baldwin, Stephen, Billy and Daniel, yeah. Amazing. Daniel's yeah. like one of the carers in the hospital. Um, and uh, Billy's... In the platoon. Stephen Baldwin, what's his film? Usual Suspects. No, Biodome, man. Jesus, what's Ugh. wrong with you? And Daniel Baldwin? Who the yes. hell's he? Daniel Baldwin what, was right mean? at the end. He was... Oh, he no, was no, in... I know. Daniel Baldwin is in Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man with Don Johnson and Mickey Rourke, which is a great film. <laughs> right, I've got I no it. idea what you're I talking about. I absolutely love it. Um, but yeah, Tom Sizemore, Michael Wincott. Uh, good, I'm glad you said Tom Sizemore. Bob Gunton, Mike Starr, Raymond J. Barry, Ed Lauter from Raw Deal. One of your other favourite TV actors. Go on. Well, go you say him. I don't know if I've... John C. McGinley. Yeah, right. I, I'm glad you got it. Yeah. <laughs> Scrubs, Dr. Cox. Um, he's great. Um, who else? Well... One of my favourite actors. Oh. Wayne cool. Knight. Did you spot Wayne Knight? I didn't. Where was he? Yeah. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I love him in Jurassic Park. Yeah, he's man. Uh, it, right at the end. He's, he's part of the entourage that's uh, getting... Um, Tom Cruise ready, right? He's talking to somebody as the camera's coming into the right into the thing. And uh, Delmas was it Senator Delmas or someone? He's or who's on the screen, who's on TV, who's giving this fantastic speech, like really moving speech. Black guy with white hair uh-huh. or, or graying hair at that time, but now he's got like this shocking white hair. He, he's a fantastic man, um, Republican, but still fantastic in terms of his um, the way he speaks about rights. Vivica Fox. Is in this. Saw her in the credits, but I didn't spot her. Didn't spot her anywhere, but I know she's in it. But also, this is the first... You have to look very hard to spot him. The first appearance of Tom Cruise's Franco Columbu, which is William Mapother, his cousin. Ah, Billy! Billy Cruise! <laughs> Not Billy Cruise. But yes, apparently he was in the platoon in Vietnam. I, I yeah, didn't I didn't him. spot him either, but I know I knew he was in it. I... I, I... So he was in it. Tiny part. I like him as an actor. Jake Weber. He oh yes, looks, yeah. You know him. Yeah, uh, good. yeah. I really I like, like him. He was in uh, yeah, yeah. Meet Joe Black as well. He's really yeah. Good that's that. right. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a great actor. He's got he a good look and and yeah. whatever. Lily Taylor. Yeah. I, I, she's got a fantastic look. Yeah, I I think she's great. Um, and very young here in this. I didn't spot him. I don't know where he is. I think he's in the platoon somewhere. But fucking Eagle Eye Cherry Man is in there. I know! Yeah. I only saw that Did in the credits him? at the end. Like, it's so amazing. He wasn't in Vietnam. He was um, He was in uh, one of the end sequences. Yeah. But, and this takes us into the Cruiserverse. Because this is a real tough one to tie into the Cruiserverse. So all I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a little bit of information and I'm going to let you fill in the blanks. All right, all right. Let's see, let's see what we do with it. We first meet time-travelling, quantum-leaping actor Tom Cruise in Endless Love, where he plays the angel of death who starts a fire and sets off a chain of events that nearly kills all of the main cast. As a result, he is sent to military academy in TAPS, 
where he sadly dies. Then we jump to the past to see his father in The Outsiders, who has a brother in losing it. His son goes on to become an American football player in all the right moves. On his way to college, he has a dream which is risky business, which convinces him to write a story to his father, legend, explaining why he's going to Miramar to train as a fighter pilot instead in Top Gun. After beating the Russians, he takes some R&R and becomes a pool husser in the color of money. He loses the pool game, goes to New York, goes to Jamaica, learns to make cocktails, gets a woman pregnant, and then fucks off. He finally becomes successful in business and finds out he's got an autistic brother in Rayman who he then loses. If you wish to make a movie star from scratch, you must first invent the Cruiseverse. The woman who plays Mrs. Kovic, yeah, his mum. Yeah. I thought it was her as soon as I saw her and I had to confirm it. It's an actress called Caroline Carver. Yeah, yeah. She plays Thelma Beckett. In The Leap Home, Part 1, Quantum Leap. you fucking kidding me. She is Sam Beckett's mum, right? Oh my god, that's ridiculous. And the last line, spoilers, that Tom Cruise has in this film, we're home. And then he goes off and fades into white light. Into the light. He leaps again. So all I'm saying is... All I'm saying is... This film confirms that Tom Cruise is a part of the Quantum Leap program <laughs> It's true, from, man. from this point on. It's true. I think after the experience of Rain Man, he was like, I'm, I, you know, I've learned, I've learned some stuff. I feel like I need to put this in perspective and experience some real human suffering. And his buddy Sam Beckett said, I'm going to hook you up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what real suffering is. He goes he, through it all, man. And he leaps yeah. into the body of Ron Kovic. The actual Ron Kovic, that's why he could the play the part. So, and he comes back and and decides, Tom Cruise, the, the man, the actual person, says to Oliver Stone, we have to make a movie about this man. Well, no, he comes back and he decides, right, I'm done with that. I'm going to do something more fun now. I'm going, oh, right. to, I'm going to go and become a NASCAR driver called Cole Trickle. Oh, right, okay, fine. That's what he does. <laughs> right, <laughs> okay. That makes so much more sense. Uh, listen, I'm really happy to leave the Cruiseverse at that. There are no blanks. What you said is it. I'm so happy that it was Mrs. Beckett it's, from the yeah, yeah. It's his first leap. That's it, man. That's all we need to do. But also, like the amount of actors that then I I could barely I I just start, I only noticed it going through it. But the amount of act, actors that then go on and act in things together as well, like yeah. uh, Tom Berenger and um, uh, Tom Cruise's father. I can't remember his name. Oh, Raymond J. Barry. Yeah, they go on and they're in Training Day together, both of them. True. Yes. They yeah. Are, yeah. And I just and the links keep going. I think there's somebody else that's also in Scrubs along with Doctor Cox. It's like there's so many links. I'm sure Oliver Stone one day made those links and went, "Wow, man, blows it's my all, mind." It's all a conspiracy. It's all a conspiracy. Uh, so he's going to do the film of his of his own life one day. Yeah, called Stoned. <laughs> yeah, and it's going to be a conspiracy theory that ties all of his films together, much like the Cruiseverse. That's the twinkle from Back to the Future when something weird is happening. You know, when... The... So that could be I might just leave it in, yeah. Yeah. There's just one other person that I want to... Well, we haven't really mentioned Kyra Sedgwick uh, other than that's the person that he has the kiss with. I, I had quite a big crush on Kyra Sedgwick around the time that this came out because I think she's oh, really? quite different looking. She's got those black eyes. Yeah. Uh, but the person that I wanted to mention was the director of photography, Robert Richardson, because I think the film would be an even more of a slog if he wasn't 
one of the really top guys out there. And he is um, Quentin Tarantino's go-to director of photography now. He's done right. lots of really, really good work, including the Kill Bills. Got some numbers? Always, man. It's your numbers. Budget. 14 million. It's pretty good, considering the scope of it. Salary. <laughs> uh, no, no upfront salary for Tom Cruise. He felt so he felt really? so strongly about the project that he deferred his salary to take a percentage of the profits. Great. So did the gamble pay off? Well, if I tell you that the film made 160 million dollars worldwide, indeed. Yes, it probably did pay off, and it's yes, probably one sure of his bigger pay paydays yeah. <laughs> at this point in his career. Yeah, right. It's your numbers. That's something that we're going to see a lot more with Tom Cruise. <laughs> you mean being rich? Being rich. That's being a classic. Rich. Yeah, but he's rich. not rich in this. Doesn't matter. He is rich. Did you get any lines? I didn't write any. No, um, it's lines were hard, but I yes, I did write down one or two. <laughs> they're just they're basically the lines that ancillary characters said that made me laugh or giggle. So my first one is, um, oh, this not it's not a funny one at all. After he's shot in the chest, yeah. Um, so he gets shot in the foot first and is like on the ground, yeah, and he carries on trying to fight and then he gets shot in the chest he hears the same taunts that he heard when he was a kid in the woods Ronnie's dead Ronnie's dead I quite like that hmm. so I don't know if it's a good line but there are words involved in it so okay. yes it's a line also out in Vietnam one of the people in the uh, in the group it, it's it's hot and they're marching and he says so hot out on this motherfucker this must be hell or purgatory where the motherfucking devil at? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was good, yeah. I like that as well. And then, of course, hell ensues. Uh, when he says, when his mum, he's shouting, he comes back drunk from the bar, mm -hmm. and his mum says, don't say penis in this house. Yeah. And he says, penis, yeah. mum! Big fucking erect penis! Yeah. So, kind of like that. But again, too much energy, I'd say. Well, but no, it maybe was appropriate. Not. It was appropriate. I guess. It did. But then he, you know. It reminded me of Sublime Breasts from uh, Sublime <laughs> Business. And what reminded me of that was, I don't know, off screen, it's barely audible. Uh, when he goes to Mexico and they, they're in w one of the, um, the brothels and you can hear this character off screen saying, have you ever been skull fucked? I'll do it, babe. I'll do you, motherfucker. Okie dokie. <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't help but laugh at that. Um, but then the best line for me was the most moving and poignant line. And you've referred to the scene already when we were talking about the evolution of the character and what he has to go through to, to realize what's happening, like excise his demons, if you want. And it's the mother of the, uh, the private that he killed in, um, yeah, in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. uh, it's when she says, we understand, Ron. We understand the pain you've been going through. Like, it's a moment more than it is a line, but it's fantastic. It is, it's a really good moment. And in opposition to Lily Taylor's line as well, because she says, yeah. I can never forgive you or something like that. Yeah, but and maybe, maybe God, God can. Yeah. yeah. But also, there's a kind of an acceptance there, like, no one's going to flip out at you here. Your tears are, we get it. We're not going to, like, attack you. Hmm. And the father stays silent, like, guessing because he's pretty angry that the person who killed his son has had the balls to come and say, but I'm sure that on some level he gets it as well. Yeah. I, I, th I feel like it's a more important scene than they gave time for. 
and again, I think it works better in hindsight than it does in the experience of watching the film because you know where it's going from there. Right, right. It, you're right. Again, rank it, you son of a bitch. <laughs> okay. Because I said it's it's pretty much in the middle of the roster of Oliver Stone's movies. It's pretty much going in the middle of all the Tom Cruise movies we've watched so far for me. I can't put it above All the Right Moves, which is six. It, it's definitely better than Outsiders, though. I, I, that's where it's going for me. It's going in the middle. Yeah, it's it's certainly not better than Rain Man, Color Money, Top Gun. Those are my top three. Yeah, so All the Right Moves is fifth for me, and then I've got Taps, and then I've got Legend, so I'm going to put this just above Legend, but below Taps. <clears throat> Maybe that's unfair, because it's the ambition and the um, technical qualities of the film are, Scope. are very uh, worthy, but it's, it's like you said, it's just not a film that I'm ever going to feel like I want to go back and watch again. No. And it just didn't have that extra little oomph to push it over the edge. So, yeah, I think that's about seventh on my list at this moment. But don't get down about it, Alex, because okay. com- coming up next, we've got the reteaming of Tom Cruise and Tony Scott from Top Gun. Also, the arrival of Nicole Kidman into Tom Cruise's life, which would be Amazing. interesting. Yeah. In Days of Thunder. But not yeah. just that. You want a little cherry on top? Yeah, go on. Give it. Give it to me. Rob Bloody Marlin's going to come and talk to us about Days of Thunder and why he loves it so much. And for anyone that doesn't know who Rob Marlin is, you're not listening to enough our mythology. But second to that is Rob Marlin is our super fan. Yeah. Uh, our don't... one fan. I think we've got like five now. Okay. But Rob Marlin's uh, the one that has the most sort of engagement. Yeah, so... Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to join us next time for Days of Thunder, as Rob Marland will be doing. Yes. Until then, toodle-oo. Woo! Don't forget, you can jack reach us at The Arnithology on Twitter, The Arnithology on Facebook, and The Arnithology at gmail.com. <laughs>